Welcome, you're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job or maybe you've been unemployed for a while or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. It's Sabina. Welcome to the podcast. I usually start every podcast with a bit of an update on clients, the employment landscape. Today, I just want to jump right into it. One of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was to address all issues on employment It's taken me a while to track down somebody to talk about something we're all a little uncomfortable discussing, which is our money. I'm very proud today that I'm able to finally deliver on that. So I hope you'll join me for a really great conversation I have with my friend, colleague, and financial expert, Ann Lester, as we talk about some of the important financial do's and don'ts when you lose your job. And more importantly, how you get to be whole again after you start working. It's a great conversation. You don't want to miss it. Let's get right to it. Hi, everybody. It's Sabina. Thank you so much for listening. I know I say this every time, but I am so happy about today's podcast guest. It's been a while since we've had a guest, and I am delighted to introduce my friend and colleague, Anne Lester. Anne, welcome. Thank you, Sabina, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You and I have had this offline conversation where I've been frustrated pretty much since I launched the podcast because I've been very anxious to have someone come and talk about your area of expertise, which is finance. And I'm so grateful that you've come on and you're going to share your wisdom with everybody. But to let everyone listening know, Anne has this phenomenal background. She has worked for J.P. Morgan. She's written about finance. She is a fellow author. Her book is coming out. When is that again, Anne? March 12th, 2024. Okay, you're coming back for that. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. You're an expert in a very specific area of finance. Am I correct in that? Is that a good? Uh, yeah, I'll own that. So I focus on helping people save for retirement specifically, and that's what my background is in. Great. And I do want to ask some of your expertise in a couple of other areas, but we will try to focus on mm-hmm. that. I think there's two topics in the U.S. that make people incredibly uncomfortable. And no, politics isn't one of them. I think it is 
their work, especially if they're unemployed, and money. When you're out of work and someone asks you about money, I think it's polarizing and scary to people that on a good day, they don't want to talk about money, but on a bad day, they definitely don't. You chose to go into this as a career. That boggles my mind as someone who probably has that fear of money. How did you end up going into this career path? I can't imagine financial analyst or expert is a really popular kid's Halloween costume. How did a nice girl like you end up in a place end up like in, this? Yeah, it's funny. You look back and just look at this slightly bizarre set of circumstances and choices that anybody can look back on and, and go, wow, that was a interesting journey. I actually did want to go into finance when I was in middle school or high school. I, I guess I must have been in high school. There was a, a book that came out by Paul Erdman called The Crash of 79, which was a financial thriller. And you could find it in airports across the country with embossed silver letters. And my dad used to travel a lot for work and would always come home with a suitcase full of paperbacks, which I would gulp down. And he was also getting an MBA, an executive MBA. He was an English professor, but wanted to learn more about business. I guess he was in management in universities. And I read this book and it just made international finance sound incredibly glamorous. I just was just enthralled with this idea about going into banking. And when I was an undergraduate interviewed with a ton of financial institutions and flamed out in all of my interviews, didn't get a single job offer from a bank. So I ended up moving to Washington and working in politics for four years got a master's degree and focused on international economics and took the right classes and ended up uh, with the job, long story short, at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. But really almost by accident, I didn't know anything about asset management. And I thought I really wanted to be an investment banker, which is a glamorous part of finance, I thought. And I know now I would have probably disliked that intensely. And asset management is the boring side of banking where you're trying to make investments for other people and grow over time. And you, your job is to, to take care of other people, basically. It's, a, it's an interesting corner of finance, but it was an accident that I ended up there. I really believe you end up where you're supposed to be, even if it's not when you want that job or when you want to go into it, your career somehow finds you. Yeah, um, yep, yep. I think that's true. And it certainly found you. Do you ever think of Going back to all those people who didn't hire you and say, see, this is where I ended up. Well, the funny thing is, J.P. Morgan interviewed me twice and chose not to hire me. And I, they hired me the third time around. And I, I have told that story a number of times that J.P. Morgan and people rolled their eyes. But yeah, it, I find it highly ironic. I, the, the second time they did not choose to hire me. I remember thinking, that's the last time I'll ever interview with those jerks. It's funny to me that I ended up there for 30 years. No, I love that. Let's get to uh, the meat of today. I deal with a lot of people right now who are out of work, and money is a really scary topic. I want to get into talking about retirement and unemployment, but if you could, from your area of expertise here, when someone finds themselves out of work, what do you think are a few really immediate financial moves or decisions they should make? I think there are a couple things to do. Number one is to take a really deep breath. I think that's, I haven't been out of work for reasons that were not my own choosing. I guess that's happened to my husband a couple of times and we've been through it as a family. And it is, it is just terrifying. Um, it is absolutely terrifying. And I think 
certainly as a spouse and certainly it's very natural to start looking for things to blame, right? Or wanting to find faults. I, I say this about finances too. One of the most important things to do is just to take a deep breath. And to the extent that you can try to take the value judgments out, just like here you are, let's figure out what you're going to do. Take a deep breath and figure out what's the next thing you need to think about doing. And from a financial perspective, getting aside from the philosophy there and making sure you don't beat yourself up and put it in some sort of moral frame, just first things first, I think you have to take a deep breath. I think one thing I know many people don't do because there's so much shame associated with it is file for unemployment. That's like free money and you're paying, you and your company have been paying, your company probably, but maybe even you, depending on where you live, have been paying something into unemployment insurance at an unemployment kitty. And like that, you are owed, that money is there for you. It is your money. So do not feel shy about claiming that the nanosecond you get laid off. You're a woman after my own heart. I think this is the number one thing people don't do is... I don't know whether it's a shame thing or they think I'm taking away from someone who needs it more. And that's exactly what I say. It's It's your money. That's why it's there. It is your money. And it is a benefit that we have. One could argue maybe we need more of, but it's there and it's your money. And even if you don't need it right away, don't wait until you need it to claim it. I know one of the times my husband got laid off back in the old days, he had a year severance because he'd worked at this company for a really long time. And He was like, I don't need it. And we talked about it. And it's just stick it in a savings account. They were paying his paycheck until he found another job. And I'm like, you still are owed that money. Just shove it in savings. And as it turned out, it all worked out just fine. And he ended up finding another job. And it ended up being a little extra money for us. But no shame in taking it. You are owed that money. It is yours. So that absolutely number one. I guess the second thing, or maybe it's part of the same step, which is to really stop and Of course, you're stopping on all kinds of fronts, but take stock of where you are financially. And it it is everything from figuring out as quickly as you can what your cash flow is going to be like, which is number one, why that unemployment is so important. Maybe you're lucky enough to have some kind of severance from work, whether it's a couple of weeks or longer. Make sure you think about that and understand what that looks like. Make sure you understand the tax implications of any of that. and then I think you you should really, so think about money in, right? What's the money coming in? Get that unemployment turned on as fast as possible. Think about other streams of cash that you have coming to you. Make sure you think them all through. And then it's difficult. Assess what savings you have. And when I say savings, if you have any short-term savings in the old-fashioned savings account, maybe you had a rainy day fund. We'll talk a bit about that later, I hope. Maybe you had some money you were saving up for something like a vacation? What do you have that's liquid that you can tap into? And then I think the third bucket you should be looking at, what's going to come in no matter what you do, what's accessible to you in sort of cash and liquid investments, and then what kind of credit do you have available to you, whether it's a credit card balance or a home equity loan that's the last thing you should think about tapping, but it's good to know what you have available, right? Just so you can start doing some planning. That's like money coming in. And then I think you have to take a look at what your industry looks like and what employment, the employment situation looks like for anybody listening to this podcast in the summer of 2023, right? There's still 
reasonable hiring going on, even though layoffs are starting to tick up in some industries. You might not be too pessimistic right now about finding another job. I don't think it's crazy to think of being out of work for a couple of years like you might have been in 2008. I think the climate and the industry that you're in and your geography all will give you some insight into how long you need to, to really be thinking about, worrying about, planning for that unemployment period. It might be that between your savings and the income you've got coming in and you're in a hot field and you just happen to work for a stupid company, you may find yourself in the happy position of not being out of work for too long. Um, but I also think you have to acknowledge the possibility that it may be months or even longer, half a year or a year that you may be looking. And I think there's two schools of thought. We talked about income coming in. The next question is what's going out? Mm -hmm. And how do you make that list of what's going out and how important it is to keep paying all that stuff, right? I think most people can come up with a, a pretty easy list. Let's call it the, the bookends of the stuff that I really have to pay no matter what. And I'd put shelter, like if you've got a mortgage or rent, you need to think about prioritizing that. I'd say health insurance ought to be on that list because mm -hmm. you want to avoid catastrophic things that push you into bankruptcy. Letting your insurance lap, whether it's health insurance or renter's insurance, may not be the first place to think about cutting corners. You need to eat. If you have obligations, the financial obligations, loans, credit cards, student loans, you've got to think about at least paying the minimum on those so you don't go out of whack on those things. And then I think on the other end, you can come up with a few things that you know you can probably cut pretty easily, yeah. right? Maybe there was a vacation planned. Maybe you have a, a Tuesday night dinner date with somebody and you like going to the fun new restaurant in town with some friends, like scale that one back. Just think about the stuff that you know you can say goodbye to pretty easily. And I would start there and just get your arms around what is your financial ins and outs look like. I think that's uh, a really good summary there. I think a lot of people go through a bit of denial yeah. when they lose their job and they want to maintain that old lifestyle. Because if I can still get my wine subscription, go to the gym, take the vacation, everything is fine. They're worried how it impacts their family. And I think I understand it. I went through it, but I think it's a mistake. I also speak from experience. I do think you have to put this all into context and really understanding what that gap is between money in, money out, mm -hmm. and how long that's going to... There are no guarantees, right? But I think right. you can have a best case scenario and you should absolutely have a really clear-eyed line of what if everything goes wrong? And then I think, Sabina, you brought up a really good point, which is how do I manage this acknowledging and living with the, I'm going to have to do without some stuff I really want. Yeah. And we're all human to say you should be utterly ruthless and cut out every single solitary thing immediately on day one is like you could, that's what I said. There's sort of two ways of approaching this. One is to say, that's it, right? I'm going to cut to the bone and I'm just going to be super aggressive and hunker down in my canned beans and I'll turn the thermostat down to 50 and like just hunker down. That, that could work, right? That's a really, that's financially maybe not terrible. I would say that's a really brutal thing to do to yourself and being a little kind as you start give, giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room to figure it out is not terrible. 
But I do think a great way to frame how you should start thinking about cutting things is what will I have regretted spending money on if I don't have a job in six months? I like, like what like look that. back on and going, wow, mm-hmm. I really wish I hadn't bought that pair of shoes. Or in six months, if I'm still looking for a job, shoes tend to be a weakness of mine. I really wish <laughs> I didn't need to drink all this fancy, like whatever your thing is, there's a thing that you will yeah. look back and go, God, that was stupid. I wish I hadn't done that. But if you can oh. get yourself to ask that question at the beginning, it's going to be easier to do those bookends, right? Money in, money out. Mm-hmm. How can I work my way down from the obvious, well, I didn't actually want to do that anyways. This is a really good reason to say no to the things that are going to start making you hurt a little. You're bringing up a couple of really good points. One of them is that, yes, we could all probably go bare bones. I I think we all have the gumption to do that. But you've lost your job. You're unemployed. You're already feeling that stigma. There's a nobility to it of I'm out of work, therefore I'm going to be really good and just do the essentials. But when your ego, when your self-esteem is damaged, you sometimes need that perk to remind you that you're human. I, I hear this all the time from people when they go on food assistance and they are really shocked, like, I can get ice cream? Yes, you are allowed to do that with your food assistance money, with your SNAP money. It is not a punishment. It is a support. And you're given the sum of money. We're not going to give you dried beans and kale yeah, and exactly. take it back, right? Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on the whole thing that's happening in the Midwest. But anyway, those things are important. I, My readers and listeners tend to go into two camps. There's the people who are in a little bit of denial and want to continue their same lifestyle. And then I always get these people who, I have people who email me this these lists of, these are all the things I gave up because you said I should. And I'm like, no, I'm like, look at it first. I had a woman in tears because she gave up those beauty subscription boxes Mm -hmm. and she didn't want to give hers up. I'm like, you don't have to. There's probably something else that you can do without, or you can tag that for later when things become a little tighter. And to me, that's a really great way of looking at it too, which is rather than being super absolutist about this, like I said, take a look at your money in, take a look at what savings you have, And then say, okay, at my current lifestyle finance term, what's my run rate here? What am I just spending? And how long can I keep doing this? Yeah. You may have three, six months, you may not. And then just ask yourself, what if it takes me twice as long to find a job as I have? Mm -hmm. What do I do? And then ask that question again, what will I regret having spent money on? What I like about this suggestion is, Your situation changes constantly when you're out of work because life happens, folks. Without fail, I'm sorry to say this, you might have that expense from nowhere, be it your heating unit, car needs tires, a kid needs medical attention, something. Period. Yes. (laughs) Life happens and you want to prepare for that, but if, if it was always this smooth plane, Anne's job would probably be very far less exciting, as would mine. So you want to prepare and be able to rebound with change. I think that's just such a part of building resilience, which will serve you in the long run. I, I think something else that many people are really reluctant to think about, and it's easier today to do it, I think, than it would have been 10 or 20 years ago, is also to think about what kind of a gigging can you do? 
while you're looking yeah. for full-time work. There's money in, money out, right? Money in, severance, benefits, unemployment insurance. What kind of, not to get all Gen Z and millennial, but what kind of side hustles can you get? Is there, can you do a little consulting? If you're in an industry and you've got some industry contacts, like it may well be that you can put some things together not to say you have to start doing that on day one. If you think about what the to talk to some recruiters, understand what the rhythms of hiring are like in your field and mentally double what they say in terms of time and then ask yourself, okay, if it's going to be three to six months, A, I'm going to be bored. B, yes, you could and should look for a job full time. But let me tell you, that's pretty fatiguing emotionally and physically and mentally. Yeah. Maybe give yourself two or three hours a day to, to think about I'm not necessarily saying you should go drive Uber, but there are plenty of things in your industry that you could probably find that, and I'm sure, Sabina, you've talked about a lot of these. Think about <laughs> a ways, and it doesn't have to replace your former income. You're just trying to fill that gap a yeah. little bit. Just Even, fill the gap a little. I'm very honest about this. One of the things that saved me when I was out of work was, I'm lucky, I live in a tourist town, and I put my house on Airbnb. And, oh, there were a couple of times that, definitely saved me. And it was not a lot of trouble for me. My friends were more than accommodating, letting me couch surf or do whatever I needed to do. And I was so grateful that I had the opportunity. I've done all of that. I've done the Poshmark thing and cleaned out my closets. And <laughs> you get very creative when you need money sometimes. And I appreciate that. I also like one of the things you're suggesting that people do that I don't think they do on a regular basis is regularly look at their financial situation. Uh, I think people maybe do it tax time, a couple of times throughout the year, and that's it. This is something we should be doing pretty regularly. I, I saw you smile, so maybe you're on board with this. How often should we be looking at our finances? There's a long silence there. I think. It depends. And, and mm -hmm. the reason I say it depends is I think the, the most important thing to have a really good handle on, I think, one, your cash flow, what's coming in and what's going out and what's going out in expenses that are minimally, I need this to survive expenses. It's it needs, wants, and desires. If you think about your spending in those buckets, I need to live somewhere. I have this house. I could sell it. I could move, but that's not going to happen overnight. I need to keep the mortgage current. I need to pay the mortgage. That's a need. I need to eat. I want to be able to go out to dinner occasionally. I desire to eat in the fancy restaurant in town. Okay, let's talk about needs, wants, and desires. Do I have a handle on what my budget is for those three things? It's like developing a game plan, I think. And you don't have to do this very often. I don't even do it formally. I don't sit there with a spreadsheet and add it all up. If you, if, if I, I did this right before I, I left my job, I sat down and I spent maybe, I don't know, an hour or two just coming up with some buckets and looking at what were my buckets and, and how did they all work and, and needs, wants, and desires. And uh, clothing is a desire for me. I don't certainly need any new clothes. I like them. I've stopped buying them just because my income isn't what it was. And I, I have bought, I think, two pairs of pants and a dress since I left J.P. Morgan. A pandemic helped too. But yeah, I think that's something. And then I guess I think of it as having the, what are your emergency plans? You have plan A, plan B, plan C. Plan A is my income stays the same. I get to do what I want. Plan B is 
wow, I've got to tighten my belt. Where am I going to tighten my belt? And plan C is catastrophe. I got to select, how do you think about, and that's a year or two to execute. Okay, wow, we got to move. We got to downsize. We got to radically reorient our lives because something's happened. I think it's a good thing to have that. I don't think you have to rethink that plan very often, certainly when something major changes. But once you have that sort of mapped out in your head, maybe if you're a, a list maker or a organized person, unlike me, you might want to write it down. But and then for everything else, assuming you know what your cash flow is and you're not overdrawing your checking account, you're staying current on your credit card bills. And by that, you're paying them off if you're working and you've got the income to support that. I think you really probably shouldn't be looking at stuff more than once or twice a year. And the reason I say that is because most people start wanting to fiddle when they look at things too often. Mm. And I'm thinking about investments in particular. The temptation is to start paying attention to the blah, blah, blah that you hear on financial news or on social media. And I've got this idea to do X, Y, or Z. You should think about buying or selling. The Fed is raising or lowering interest rates. And I think it can trigger some really unhealthy decisions to trade your retirement account, fiddle with your investments. And there's a ton of research that shows that the more people fiddle, the more money they lose, typically. Checking in occasionally and making sure things are on track and maybe rebalancing is a great thing to do. Fiddling all the time, I would argue, is not a good thing to do. There's the two extremes of all of this bringing a ton of anxiety, especially when you don't have that steady income Mm -hmm. coming in. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, and this was my experience with it, almost a comfort Mm. in having a plan. And it took me a while to get that plan. My first few months out of work were rocky and a little avoidant, but it was when I started to look at things and really allocate, like you said, I love the whole thing of desires. I never even thought of that category and finding that sweet spot in between where you're concerned enough that you're motivated to change it, be it with side gigs or really looking at new ways to network or bring about work. How do you get to that middle point? Do you have an answer for that? I guess the thing for me, and it's actually key to a lot of what I'm writing about and doing in my own work for saving in particular, is really the key for me was understanding that a lot of the ways I behaved were not necessarily because And I will just say, and I say this very publicly, I'm a terrible saver. I'm a spender. I really have trouble delaying gratification. And it it was really a revelation to me when I first learned about some of the brain science behind why people have poor impulse control. And it's because our brains are wired that way. It's not Mm -hmm. because we're bad or lazy or stupid. It's because that's the way our brains are wired. And the second that I was like, oh, it's not because I'm bad, because I I kept setting myself up for failure. And there are analogies with dieting, there's analogies with spending money. I can go into this store, I'll just look, I won't buy anything. Let me tell you, I do not set foot in a store if I don't know I need something, because I will probably buy something. I've learned that about myself. I'll find a really great deal. I'll find the perfect present for someone. I'll find something that I can buy, because I like buying things. I don't give myself chances to run off the rails, if you will. But for me, the big lever was just 
understanding a little more about how I'm wired and again, taking some of the value judgment out of it, some of the moral good, bad person, this is good behavior, this is bad behavior, like it just is. And if you can pause and try to unpick why it's causing, let's say you don't want to look at your bank account because it's terrifying. You've lost your job and you're really scared and you just want to keep living the life you were living and really just don't want to see what's going on. My self-worth is tied up in my being able to go out and meet my friends for dinner tonight. I can't not do this. The long answer to how you get better at that is to spend a lot of time with yourself and really focusing on why your self-worth is tied up with needing to go out with your friends and not being able to say, wow, I'm really sorry, I can't do this right now. But that's graduate school stuff. That's a lot of work um, to really be willing to look at that. I think the shortcut version is to give yourself a break and say, wow, these are really tough times and it's okay to feel really crappy about this. Yeah. It's really okay to feel crappy about this. Overwhelmingly, I hear back from people saying, this is the first time I've been told everything I'm feeling is okay. And I want people to know that it's normal and you shouldn't avoid those feelings. You have to lean into them a lot. I agree with that completely. We've danced around these. You've, you've hit the edges of some of these. We've talked about what you should do when you're in this unfortunate situation. What are the definite don'ts financially when you find yourself out of work? Tempting though it is, I would say one of the big don'ts is, and don't, I don't like saying that. I really don't. Don't do this. Do this instead. I think it's going to be catastrophic long-term if you pretend none of this is happening to you. (laughs) Painful though it is, I think you really do have to sit down and think long and hard about some of the choices you're making. And with an eye towards realism, because you may have a very funny job that may take you a year to find a new job. It may take you a month to find a new job. You probably have some gut telling you what end of that spectrum you're going to fall on. Whatever you think the worst case is, double it. But I think the first thing you should do is not tap into your 401k. (laughs) I was going to save that, but you opened the door. Let's talk about this is your area. It's this huge pot of money, hopefully, that you've been saving up. And it's just sitting there. And you're thinking, wow, I could do a lot. I could do a lot with this money. You may end up there. I'm not saying never. I'm saying it's absolutely not the first thing to do. Let's talk about this a little deeper because I had that feeling. I've known people who've had that feeling of this could just solve everything. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who don't have the, what is it? They tell you like the $2,000 immediate emergency fund. And then there's the super emergency fund of six months of expenses. I don't know anybody who has that. And then the retirement fund, which of the three, if you're going to have one, most people have the retirement fund. Yeah. Because the workplaces matched it and so forth. Tell us about this. A couple of things. One, depending on how long you've worked for your employer, that match may or may not be there for you because you have to vest it. Different companies have different vesting schedules and that's vesting means you've worked X number of months or years and then you get to keep that match. You may not even have all that money. Secondly, the second you pull it out, if you're under 59 and a half, you will have to pay income tax on that money and you will have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty tax on top of that. Depending on your tax bracket and when you find yourself unemployed and needing that money, that could be pretty darn ugly. That could wipe out a third or more of what you're doing. 
And if you're spending it, you may not understand that you also have to pay tax on it. That's going to be a big icky tax bill you're going to have in the future, maybe. Just like that money isn't all there to be tapped. It's got to, you got to pay tax on it. You got to pay a 10% penalty on it. That's just number one. Number two, it, it won't be there for you later if you spend it now. <laughs> and not only will it not be there for you later, but the amount that you would have earned because of compound returns also yeah. won't be there. If you're in your 20s and you, uh, let's say you're 30 years old and you've saved up $15,000 in your 401k, you get laid off, you end up pulling 10 out, you're gonna pay, call it two to 3,000 back to Uncle Sam right away, so you'll have seven, and you will give up 30 years of compound returns on $10,000, which is gonna be another probably 40 or $50,000. It, it adds up fast. Not only you're not gonna get the 10, but you're gonna be giving up like $50,000 in the future. Wow. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Under what circumstances, if ever, should I tap into that money? I'm not going to say never. If you mm -hmm. are uh, going to lose your house and you can't sell it fast enough, I would think about tapping 401k plan rather than go without medical insurance. It's what kinds of things are going to create so much hardship that you will create a big hole that you can never dig out of. And I think racking up huge medical debt is one of them. I think it certainly should not be for when I can go on my vacation though. This should be for needs, not wants or desires. Keeping a roof over your head, eating, paying your utility bills. I'm talking about surviving things, not making sure you can maintain your former lifestyle and tide you over till you get a new job. I'm talking about true living, surviving. Needs. But I do, the money is there. Now, mm -hmm. I personally would probably think about using a home equity line of credit and or credit card debt before I started pulling mm -hmm. that money out, because that's not going to create that double whammy of having to owe all those taxes on it. And then foregoing all those returns, that's a big hole that you're digging for yourself rather than having to, it may be that you stop saving for a while you're paying back all that credit card debt. And that's a very different hole that you're digging, then that's like a shallow ditch that you're digging. Whereas the using up those retirement savings is really going to set you back. But I'm not going to say never because guess what stuff happened, but it's not a never, it's a last resort. Yeah. This has gone by so quickly. Let's, let's end on a semi-happy note. Let's go into the future and you have a job now. And obviously I don't know anybody who has lost a job and it's not impacted them financially. What are my steps to make myself whole again? I'm going back to work now. Let's just say maybe I have a little bit of credit card debt, some credit card debt. Maybe I did tap into my 401 and I took some money out. What's my first aid financially when I go back to work? What should I be doing? I think to the extent that is survivable for you, and everybody's going to have a different threshold on this, I would think about giving yourself a little bit of a treat, allowing yourself not a permanent ratcheting back up to your former 
lifestyle, assuming your new pay is the same as your old pay, which unfortunately is not going to be true for everybody, but let's just say it is. Think about giving yourself a one-off treat or two that you've really missed rather than ratcheting yourself right back up to where you were. Say you've downsized your car and gotten a cheaper car. Don't immediately go trade it in and buy a new expensive car again. Don't do that. Stay with your cheap car and use some of the hard found frugality that you had to find to start filling those holes back up, right? Number one. And you think about filling up those holes, I would say the very first thing you should be doing is creating that six months emergency savings fund that nobody has because right. you, you now you know why you want it. And mm-hmm. you just, that's just priority number one before everything else. Okay. If you can afford it, save for that and pay down your high interest rate credit card debt. Anything over six or 7%, I qualify as high interest rate and you should be paying that off as fast as you can. Okay. If your company offers you a 401k uh, or a workplace savings plan with a match, you've got to get back to the match as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you can only do one of those three things, it's emergency savings. Okay. And then I think it's keep try to pay a little more than the minimum credit card, but get that company match because that's free money. You want the match. Do you want to save up? Many companies will give you uh, 50% of what you're contributing up to 6%. That's a very standard threshold, or maybe it's 50% up to 10% to get that. Okay. And even if you should be paying more, you need to get down the credit card debt before you start throwing more money at your 401k. Okay. And then after you get those things back on track, and by on track for 401k savings, I would recommend for most people somewhere between 10 and 15% of your salary. Then you can start thinking about some of those other things. And then you can allow your lifestyle to start. When you get a raise, here's my standard advice. Save half of your raise. Okay. And then your lifestyle doesn't creep up. You don't get this consumption creep happening with your salary. A lot of people come out of unemployment. They go back to work. And one of the first things they say is, I I was doing so many things I really didn't need. I wasn't enjoying Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't gone back to them. Uh, it, it's it's a little surprising at, I think we do some of these things out of just either herd behavior or we feel that we have to keep up with other people and you realize, no, it, it doesn't suit me anymore. It doesn't serve me. Really great advice and tips. And I'm so appreciative. We have a couple more minutes. Anything else you want to add on or tag on to anybody who's out there listening? Wow, just good luck. And if it's okay to say this, just a big hug. Like this is absolutely, it's it's absolutely a tough time. And what I really hope people can try to remember is this stuff happens to everybody. And it is taking any sense of self-judgment out of it, I think is really valuable. And just say, here's where I am. What can I do to, what's my next step forward here? And yep, that to me is so important, but it, and Sabine, as you said, it's okay to feel really crappy about it because it's really crappy. Yeah. But it gets better and it does it, get better. I'm a firm believer. Pretty much everything is fixable from different perspectives. You will be made whole again. And actually we talked about earlier embracing change. Yes. What you're going through is going to change you. And you probably have the same needs, but probably not the same wants and definitely not the same desires as when you started this process. Um, 
Anne, I can't thank you enough. This has been worth the wait. And I know a lot of people are going to benefit from listening to this. Where else can we find you? What else is going on for you so people who listen to this can follow you, track you, and learn more from you? Thank you. Um, I have a website, which is annlester.com, and that is A-N-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. And there are links there to sign up to follow me on social media for all kinds of savings tips and news about my forthcoming book. That'd be terrific if anybody wants to join me there. Great. And do you have a newsletter? Uh, We do have a monthly newsletter as well, and you can sign up for that on my website as well. Excellent. Go to Anne's website, follow her on LinkedIn, get the newsletter, and will you please come back uh, when it comes time to release your book? Absolutely. I would love that. We can talk about my book, which is uh, titled Your Best Financial Life. Excellent. Thank you again, Anne, so much. Great stuff for everybody, and we look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you so much. And there you have it for today. I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out-of-work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sulat. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at s-s-u-l-a-t at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.